I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and the next play in our season, Vitals by Rosamund Small. But before we get too far into that, we wanted to take a second to thank everybody. Play Me was very much a grand experiment for both Laura and myself. We're both theatre artists, and one thing that we've always found is it's been a bit challenging to connect theatre with a broader audience. And this was an experiment to see if there was some way of being able to connect the high-quality work that's out there with a very broad international audience. And we've been absolutely thrilled with the response that we've received. So many of you have shared links to different episodes, and so many of you have really helped get the word out, and we just wanted to say that we are truly grateful for that. It's really exciting to know that um, people in over 40 countries around the world are listening to our podcast, and it's exciting for us to know that that, um, people in Indonesia, the Philippines, um, China, are listening to plays and short stories written by Canadian writers and performed by Canadian actors. So we hope that you'll continue to listen, subscribe, share, tweet, uh, review us. Any any uh, support out there to keep this, this podcast growing is greatly appreciated. Today we feature part one of Vitals. Vitals is a solo show about a paramedic. Anna spends her days saving lives and dealing with the darkness, cruelty, and sheer incompetence of the people around her. How many 911 calls can she deal with before she has her own emergency? Vitals is written by Rosamond Small. It features Catherine Cullen. The dispatcher is played by Ash Knight. The original theatrical production of Vitals was produced by Outside the March and was directed by Mitchell Cushman. Now for episode one of Vitals. Warning, some of this episode contains language and situations for mature audiences only. should have been a veterinarian. People are terrible. You don't know what a call is going to be like until you get there. You take what they give you, like hemorrhage. 
and you think of what you'll do depending on what kind of hemorrhage. Could be anything, but you don't know. You can only try and think of all the different things while you're driving, like miscarriage, aneurysm, hemophilia, maybe. And then when you get there, look really carefully and decide what you're going to do. Fast. That's if you're in the back and somebody else is doing the driving. You can't do that kind of thinking while you're the one driving the ambulance to the scene. Because even though driving the ambulance is the break, it's not hard, not like the job. It's still full of things, full of issues, like people jaywalk, which every time I'm like, really? You couldn't wait 10 seconds for the ambulance to pass you? We go faster than anyone else, just wait. But people jaywalk. They just want to rush into things, and they don't seem to realize that we are the ones in a rush. We are 911. We are going somewhere because it is an emergency. And people also flag us down. And if we get flagged down, no matter what, we have to stop. Like, even on a critical call, we have to stop and assess. Because it could be a heart attack. So we can be on our way to a fire. This happens. It happened literally when we were going to an apartment building on fire. And we got flagged down by a guy who was like, I had dental surgery. It really hurts. Give me a ride to the hospital. I'm not a cab. I have to go places that are critical, like places that are on fire or to see people who are coughing up blood. I can't help you right now. Don't flag me down because your tooth hurts. Pain is not urgent. Dead people are urgent. I have to explain that a lot. Well, in a way, actually, dead people aren't urgent. Only dying people are urgent. Dead people are just... clean up. This one time, I wasn't driving, the other guy was driving, but we were on our way to a call from Castle Frank. Somebody had called from the payphone on the platform, said, I'm going to hurt myself, come get me, and he hung up. So we're on our way to Castle Frank Station, thinking about all the TTC stuff you have to worry about. Are there people on the platform? Did they stop the trains going to the station already? It's rush hour. How busy is the station going to be? We're inside of the subway, on Bloor, sirens on. We can literally see the station. And we get flagged down by this guy in a Leafs jersey waving a red baseball cap. We pull over and he says, my arm hurts. I think it's broken. Please give me some codeine. Really, man? You couldn't take a cab to the hospital? We had the sirens on. Then a new call comes in and it's, man has made contact with train, which is dumb, but it means that the guy from Castle Frank jumped and made contact, obviously. So we missed it. Guy with the broken arm hears this and says, well, that's the fucking TTC for you. Government doesn't have its shit together. Huge problems in the city. Wolves everywhere. Wolves in the transit system. And we have to be like, okay, fine. But what happened? How did you break your arm? And the guy's like, the wolves have started to migrate across Sherborne, and they follow me around, something or something. Anyway, we're like, no, no, no wolves. There are no wolves. Let's just take you to the hospital. But then he just ran away across Bloor. Well, told us to go fuck ourselves, then ran away. Huge waste of time. We missed our jumper, and we had to go to Castle Frank to clean him up. Or, actually, that was a weird call. We didn't end up having anything to clean. There's a lot of time pressure on TTC stuff to keep moving, let the track open, so you gotta work fast. Right away, back the train up, grab the body parts, you know, move, go, hurry, don't drop anything. 
then there's the basket and the freezer and everything, and it's pretty high pressure. So we go in already, all prepared. The people are evacuated, we back the train up, and then nothing. The conductor is like, I hit somebody, I know I hit somebody, I did. But we look and we look and there's just nothing there. Not a piece of this guy is there. They roll the train right back and there's no body. And we go crazy, like, did he survive? Did he walk further down the track? We're all wandering around like idiots walking through the tunnel from Castle Frank to the bridge over the Don Valley. And here I'm thinking, oh, he didn't die. So he must have walked down the tunnel to the open bit and jumped into the dawn. You can't jump from the bridge now because of the fence thing. But I thought this guy maybe jumped actually from the subway tracks under the bridge into the dawn. And that's horrible for the people driving in the dawn to see, but a little part of me was like, how did he think of that? Like, that's clever but they searched in the dawn and no body. They play classical music on the subways in the upper platform bit to stop people from loitering. So when I think of the jumper, I remember trying to like search for the decapitated corpse and there's like Tchaikovsky playing over us, like soundtrack to the missing man, anthem of the disappearing man, you know. It was super dramatic. Weird stuff does happen on calls all the time, but the jumper was kind of special because the conductor was like, I hit someone. I know I hit someone. And he was totally calm and normal, but certain. But we didn't find him. We never found the jumper. Gory things don't bother me at all, really. Just the calls where people are mean to each other. The rapes and stuff. Those ones I don't like. The suicides are hard, but not that hard. It might be better if we had a decent psychologist. Our guy is awful like just really he just brings snacks that's it literally that is his entire job apparently and it's just like a joke like if you didn't have time to get lunch that day call psych dr wincheski will bring you a cookie he i don't know i think he just has some weird crush on me or something because he called me once after this scotia bank guy and i was like i'm fine because i was like I said, suicides aren't that bad. After the Scotiabank guy, he was like, I really think you should talk to somebody. So we made this weird appointment and he asked, do you feel traumatized? Right off the bat. And I was like, okay, I'm not a psychologist, but maybe you should be more subtle with your questions. And he's just waiting for me to answer while he keeps eating this enormous muffin. It was clearly his lunch. And he gets breaks. I don't know why he was always eating when he talked to people. It was so pointless. He was just trying really hard to, like, impress me with his empathy. Which, in the first place, I didn't need it. I didn't need it for that, anyway. (laughs) 
But really, suicides don't bother me so much. I'm glad when we can save them. Intubate, cut the rope on time, restart their hearts, even talk them down from the roof of a building or whatever. A lot of people are happy that it didn't work. A lot of people are happy to be saved and have a second chance. And it's, it's nice to see that. But it's not always possible. I do my best. But when they do die, you can't get too upset. They got what they wanted, you know? Their wishes fulfilled, right? They are fucked sometimes, though. <laughs> like the guy who hanged himself in High Park from, like, the tallest tree. He climbed the tallest tree and we had to get a cherry picker thing because, like, how else? It's the tallest tree in High Park. I don't even know how he climbed or... You can't ask why. There are no why for suicides. That tree is in a bit of a park that is full of alive stuff, squirrels and rabbits, and there's fish in the water right there. Maybe that's why he wanted to do it there. It's a nice bit of the city. I remember thinking, kind of morbid, but I thought, I should really come back here. High Park is really beautiful. That was a long day, and when I got home, I was making eggs, and I kept thinking I saw him hanging from the corner of my eye. That's when I started realizing I have to make time to eat at work or I'm going to start seeing dead people in my kitchen. One. It was called in as a hemorrhage at a yoga studio, so I figured it must be a maternity class, and I was going through in my mind all the different situations. Is she having the baby? Is she losing the baby? What do I do depending on what trimester it is? But I get there, and... First of all, it's weirdly calm. Like, the studio is totally zen. There's zen music playing, and the receptionist just looks at me, completely normal, and says, he's in the back. First of all, he? Secondly, why is she so relaxed? And I go back there, and there are candles everywhere, and music still. And the guy at the back was the guy who owned the place. He had cut himself all over his legs, one long one down his arms, and then a bunch from side to side. And he just lay down in his totally zen studio in this enormous pool of blood. And the receptionist seemed so calm. It was so weird. Yeah, he actually lived, so I don't know. I guess he's still teaching people yoga. I think the frosty guy was maybe the total weirdest. It was Christmas Day, 9 a.m. This guy was wearing like a huge kind of not hard plastic, but cellophane, slightly sort of opaque snowman outfit. I guess he put on his frosty head with the carrot nose and the top hat and stuff, and he sat on a lawn chair at the end of his garden in the snow right by the road and took a bunch of pills. And he died. And it's Christmas morning, so people are going to church or whatever, going out to see the decorations, and... The frosty costume is kind of see-through, right? So children are walking by and being like, there's a real guy in that snowman. Wow, he is totally not moving at all. But that doesn't bother me. I'm not going to worry about frosty. 
So he wanted to die as Frosty, who cares? At a certain point, I don't know, the guy made a statement. Not a clear statement, but you have to think it meant something to him. A lot of people try to kill themselves at work. Yoga guy, but also hotels. Oh my God, a lot of people at hotels in general, but one maid really went hard, drank a ton of Clorox in a super fancy hotel room, died right away. The guests came in to find her there all like in his bed. In your bed. On your vacation. And swimming pools, that's mostly accidents, but one lifeguard for sure meant to die in the pool. The offices aren't super memorable, but yeah, a lot of people at work. One time it was a nanny. That was sad, I remember her. This older woman from the Philippines. She did it in her room, which I guess counts as being at work. She lived at her work. She did it somewhere the kids couldn't find her. She was definitely being responsible, I think. I remember I wondered for just a second why she didn't leave her note in English. And then I was like, oh, it's not in English because it's for her actual family in the Philippines. Obviously. But the Scotiabank guy was weird in the bathroom of the Scotia building. He was a banker, a super high up banker. That's the one I had that stupid psych meeting about. There was money everywhere. That was one of the weird things. And he didn't miss. He didn't really miss. He shot himself in the head. But he missed his brainstem. So even though there's skull and brain matter everywhere, and it's literally on the ceiling, I still had to... It's a lot. I had to try and revive him because technically there's nothing wrong with his respiratory system. He was still breathing. But, like, that's stupid. I was covered in him, essentially, his brain. But his lungs are still... (sighs) But I had his brain on me, so... It was pointless. That's what was dumb. We shouldn't have to... We just needed someone to call it, really. And right after that, like very soon after the Scotiabank guy, I had to go down to City Hall to do this thing about voting. There were all these city workers, a garbage man and a nurse, and I was like, the paramedic who votes. Big smile. And someone was like, you have gum on your shoe. And I just tried to shrug it off like, oh, thanks. But it was like... You know, Dr. Wincheski at Psych asked me, do you feel traumatized? And I was like, I don't like to chew gum anymore. I don't want gum in my mouth now. It looks to me like a bit of a person. Otherwise, I'm good. The only ones that, well, no, the teenagers sometimes, the teenage girls, that's hard. That bothers me. They never mean for it to work, that's the thing. But then it usually doesn't work. They're usually fine. It's just, you know, them trying it out, seeing if anyone would miss them. They take pills, we collect them, emerge, pumps their stomachs. One girl said the stomach pumping, she said it helped her lose weight, and that made her feel like living, I guess. We send them to psych to, like, What does psych do? Give them muffins, I guess. One family, like, we found their daughter. She'd taken pills and changed her mind, called us. She's like 13. 
It's not serious. It's barely anything. She could have fucked up her kidneys, but she's not dying. She's not... Well, anyone can be dying without you noticing right away, but this girl is fine. But even so, like, that is kind of... She did try to kill herself. And her parents were just like, Oh, yeah, she said she would do that. Like, she said she would kill herself. We didn't want to indulge it. She's the youngest. You know how that is. I don't know how that is. I don't know how that makes it a non-issue. But I guess the good thing is she didn't mean it. I used to be stationed next door to a halfway house, and every time we put on the siren, one of the guys would jump in front of us. Like, the voices in his head would tell him to jump in front of the ambulance. And he wasn't trying to die, he was just following his voices. And we'd have to break really fast as he flung himself into the street, and every time I'd have to yell, like, It's just us, Derek. It's just us again. Every day. For years. But I always thought, if you're going to jump, you might as well jump in front of an ambulance. Unless you really mean it. If you really want to die. Otherwise, you might as well jump in front of an ambulance. That was Vitals by Rosamond Small, featuring Catherine Cullen. Some of the music used in Play Me is licensed under Creative Commons license. Please visit playmepodcast.com for a list of the pieces used and for attribution. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.